0: Good morning, good morning, good morning. It is that time, Wednesday morning, 10 a.m. to 12 p.m. Eastern Standard Time for the Comenius Institute-sponsored program, Warp and Roof Radio, where we combine wisdom and knowledge and give you another way of maybe thinking. Dr. Mm-hmm. Mark Echo Harold H.B. Bell in the house. And we're going to have a great show for you today. Dr. Mark, how are you, sir?
1: Doing much better, man. was sick, but uh, doing much better today.
0: No, it's okay, man. I mean, you know, we're going to get through it because, uh, you know, the the topic of today um, that we're dealing with is going to be about hospice care. And uh, our great guest today, Shannon Cockerell, will be talking about grace, hospice care, and uh, find out a little bit. I mean, you know, I've lost so many people this year, Mm Mark, and uh, learning how to deal with it. Having a organization or a system in place to help you deal with it is that's most right. important, so we're going to find out about that. Uh, but today's topic, man, we're going to talk about hospice chaplaincy.
1: Yeah, it's an <laughs> important topic. It's one of those things that uh, goes right along with what we believe at Cominius, that uh, all things are under the Lordship of Christ. By Him are all things held together, Colossians 1.17, and that's what uh, our focus is always. We bring in folks that uh, do good, do good, do good, based on Titus chapter 3. So, we're about to launch again this week.
0: You know it, and uh, we're going to come back and give you all this great information as we always do. Serenade you just a little bit, and when we come back, we're going to find out a little bit more about hospice care in the community. This is Warp and Wolf Radio on the Cool Group site at RadioNext.tv. RadioNext.tv and the Cool Group site. Warren Wolf Radio, great show, sponsored by Comenius Institute. Mark, and before we get going, let's introduce them to Comenius Institute, please,
1: sir. Yes, sir. So, Comenius Institute is a bridge for high school students between high school and college, going into IUPUI, and we uh, emphasize uh, an emphasis on containing and maintaining a Christian view of life and things, even in public university. One of the greatest issues that we face is that young Christian students are confronted by issues and topics and assumptions that they haven't necessarily met before, and so we reach out to help the answers to those kinds of questions they bring forward.
0: You know, this show, uh, Mark, is uh, really kind of developed. We're coming up on one year yeah. of uh, Warp and Wolf Radio being at the RadioNext.tv site, and I'm telling you... Uh, uh, some of these shows really hit home you know mm-hmm. we're talking about today hospice chaplaincy yes and and uh the you know the the great works that people who uh, take care of those who have the misfortune of knowing they're going to lose someone or mm-hmm. who lost someone um, that's that's a special ministry it man. is absolutely yeah so uh at the 11 o'clock hour Shannon Cockrell, who is, uh, I guess, the proprietor with Grace Hospice Care, will be in. But in this first hour, as we always do, we like to uh, expand the <laughs> yes, knowledge we do. through your wisdom, big guy. <laughs> so uh, today, I guess what we're going to do, and we're going to talk about Proverbs speaking to life. Uh, how do we define the words hospice? and chaplaincy.
1: Yes, one of the things that uh, if anybody knows me really well they know that I love something called etymology. Etymology is the background or the study or the history of words and where words come from and I think that history and study is especially helpful uh, when we come to things like hospice and chaplaincy. So for instance the word hospice literally means a rest house for travelers. I'll say that again, it's a rest house for travelers, especially the houses of refuge and shelter kept by monks in the passes in the Alps passes in Switzerland. Isn't that something? So this is an ancient word. This is something that goes way back. Actually, uh, if I were going to impose my Hebraic concepts here, it would be maksa, which literally means a shelter or a refuge. But that's what hospice is, a rest house for travelers. And so hospice uh, can be used as a, a place, a, a way station, as it were, for folks who are really encountering some very difficult uh, travails and need to get better at home. But hospice also means the person who is traveling down that road toward death, which we are all doing. And the whole point of hospice is is to make that uh, emphasis comfortable for that particular person. So we literally are providing a rest house for the traveler, It was uh, the hospice movement was actually uh, mentioned in 1879, originally, the home for the aged and terminally ill. But the movement itself was mentioned in 1978. So there's a little bit of background on hospice. Now the word chaplain is interesting because it comes from this word chapel, which comes from another word, which means clergy. So the person who is a clergyman, a minister, a chaplain, is a person who literally is the custodian of religious services now that's a really great idea we as chaplains we who bear the message of Jesus are literally the custodians of that message to people in the hospice care, and this is what we we want to emphasize today and the importance of this kind of element in
0: uh, society today. So this is not just some uh, made up uh, uh, no <laughs> title by you know you know how we do as people no Sometimes we make we up cre- titles yeah we will create who we think <laughs> we want to be that's right uh, but no this has some roots to it and that's the reason it's so important to yes. understand uh, words and the and definition of vocabulary where they come from that's right it brings that it brings it to life is what it really does it does Um in the combination of uh, so how does Proverbs help us understand what a hospice, hospice chaplain does sure
1: so uh, I'll just start with a, a bit of a personal story uh, my mother-in-law Leela was living in our home for about seven years uh, until she couldn't walk anymore we couldn't care for her any longer in our home and now she lives in an assisted care facility which is just a few miles from our house and we see her see her regularly I mention that because the emphasis here is that as best you can, as as much as you can, as much as you're able to do, Uh, The family can provide a tremendous support for individuals who really are struggling in the physicalities of life, which uh, Lila is and and, uh, was certainly in our home. Uh, But we provided that kind of sustenance and and foundation for her. I think everybody needs to think about how that might apply in their own family. But here's what Proverbs says. Proverbs 16.31 says that, Gray hair is a crown of glory. It's gained in a righteous life. Our responsibility is for the gray hairs, for those who have crowns of glory it's an important issue of taking care of those folks uh, proverbs 17 6 says grandchildren are the crown of the aged and the glory of children is their fathers so we bear responsibility for those who are older than us and then twenty three twenty two, listen to your father who gave you life and do not despise your mother when she is old do not do that mom i love you i just want you to know right now Of course, I can hear her chuckling at the moment. I think this is a really powerful point, though, to insert this concept of what we refer to now as ageism. And it's really a sad thing. It's a discrimination against people who are older. Uh, We find this in nursing homes, unfortunately. We've seen these horrific stories of uh, folks that are being taken advantage of in nursing homes or assisted care facilities, and these folks in these facilities bear responsibility. But I want to say one thing, and I want to th- I want to throw out my nephew Ethan Renault. You can find him, Ethan Renault. That's R E N O E dot com, and he just wrote a piece uh, this week called "Church and the Single Person." And I mentioned him in particular because in his piece "Church and the Single Person," he talked about the necessity of intergenerational connections. And how when we, we focus on just certain groups, we lose the emphasis of the body life of the church. That is, we need to come around our, each other. So the 25-year-old single person needs to come around the 80-year-old person who doesn't have an awful lot of life left, but has tremendous wisdom to give.
0: There you go, I, I'm man. I'm laughing at you because it sounded like you were listening to us Monday. Oh. Um, no, no, <laughs> really, because I have the pleasure of uh, having Miss Vicki Peterson and all senior citizens connect. Um, they do a show every Monday between 12 and 2, and it is talking exactly about um, how we have to keep our seniors um, part of this, this body. Yes. Um, because what they offer it's so it's so invaluable uh, mm-hmm. as far as, you know, knowledge and wisdom and trying to guide you know, our young people, guiding me. Yeah. Uh, you know, so uh, it's just ironic because we were talking about no, the that's same cool. thing, and they're talking about doing a senior-junior prom where they're bringing younger folks together cool. for works they might do in the neighborhood and the seniors who are still active. So just, just interesting yeah. that you said that. Yeah, as sure. We, as we go to the last question of the first segment, Mark, how does Christian theology uh, give a basis for... Uh, Uh, end-of-life discussions and end-of-life decisions.
1: Yeah. Uh, Well, just let me tag back onto something you just said uh, about this prom thing. You know, it'd be kind of cool if we got some of the commedia students to come to this. I would love
0: I? it. I mean, that, you know, I threw it out there hoping that you <laughs> would say that. <laughs> yeah, you know,
1: man, you're giving me the bait. You take the hook. Absolutely,
0: because you're working with that, that age group yeah. of people that we definitely want to participate yeah, absolutely. in. Absolutely. Start matching them up where you yeah. know they could just stop by and visit sure. uh, some of these seniors, you know, So that's a great
1: thing. Well, let's see what happens with that. Uh, how does a Christian theology uh, deal with the end-of-life discussions? Well, uh, quite honestly, there's so so much to say about all of this. One of the things we've said in the past, we've talked about the concept of the foreigner or the stranger. We've had a couple of uh, episodes here, a couple sessions on the radio about helping folks who are immigrants, for instance, the stranger and the foreigner. But let me read this to you. This is in the context of Leviticus 19. Uh, listen to the whole statement now. You shall stand up before the gray head and honor the face of an old man, and you shall fear your God, I am the Lord. When a stranger sojourns with you in your land, you shall do him no wrong. You shall treat the stranger who sojourns with you as the native among you. Love him as yourself, for you were strangers in the land of Egypt. And I think I've mentioned this in the past. But notice that connection between the old and the stranger. I think that's really fascinating. While they may be two separate groups in some people's thinking, nonetheless, if you have dementia or if you have Alzheimer's disease, you literally have become a stranger to the people around you and they to you. And so when we think about how does Christian theology deal with this, uh, we're talking about care for people, uh, life and death, beginning and end, temporal, eternal, hope and comfort, peace and calmness, all of these kinds of things going together uh, that this, we can afford uh, people at the end of life and through the process of aging. So when we talk about aging or Alzheimer's or dementia, how do we handle end of care uh, for loved ones in in this case? I'm going to call out the young people. And I'm going to say, do you want to do something beneficial? Take care of your grandparents. Take care of your parents. Take care of the elderly in the church. Reach out to those who cannot reach back to you and give your energy, your time, and uh, allow them to give you some of their history and some of their wisdom. I think that would be a
0: tremendous blessing. You know, I have to share this before we sure, go to break. Uh my mother succumbed to cancer in uh, September of 2008 and uh it, just, just to show the will of people. Uh she be cancer uh they diagnosed her in, in 2004, May of 2004 and they, you know, called us, you know, called me in and told me she probably has 16 to 18 months left. So Okay. My mother, in 2008 of July, was still selling Cadillacs. Mm. (laughs) No, so the last day that she couldn't work, Mm. you know, she had had about, I mean, came down hard on her. So she was able to stay around, but it was a graceful decline. So uh, a Friday in September, Friday, September 6th, the auntie, she got to the point where hospice had to come over and Mm -hmm. tell us how we were going to have to take care of mom now Mm -hmm. since she couldn't do it for herself. And, man, my mother kind of looked up at me. And It was a room full of her sisters and mm-hmm. brothers and people who were going to help take care of her. And she kind of looked at me and like, "No, they're not." <laughs> <laughs> Sunday at about 2 a.m. before the Monday when we were supposed to put all these practices in place that we learned from the nurse, Mom sailed up out of here, buddy. She mm. was having none of it. So it's just it's just amazing, <laughs> uh, you know, this great thing that God gives us called life and will and whatever it might yeah. be, but. Uh, we're going to continue with some yeah. great song. We're going to come back. You're listening to Warp and Wolf Radio on the Cool Groove site at RadioNext.TV. RadioNext.TV on the Cool Groove site. Warp and Wolf Radio. Cominius Institute is the great, great sponsor of this program here in uh, Cominius. And once again, there's an organization, Dr. Mark, that does What?
1: We are a bridge for high school students, Christian high school students going into public university at IUPUI, helping them to understand the assumptions that uh, others might have that don't think like they do, and uh, helping them to make that bridge so that they can ha- they can maintain the Christian
0: faith while in public university. You know, and what's so uh, interesting is that we had our board meeting last week, and we're discussing now uh, communities in yes. plural. Mm-hmm. And I like that because I know that the uh, the program that you're offering through Comenius is going to be necessary in our whole Mm -hmm. uh, society versus uh, thank God IUPUI was the incubator for this. If we can get out and spread this word to the community, we'll be much better for it. Uh, Today, we are talking about hospice chaplaincy, and uh, at 11 o'clock, we're going to have a special guest, Shannon Cockrell, coming in, and Shannon is with Grace Hospital Care, and uh, they specifically are uh, ministering to people who are coming to the end of this life as we know it and uh that it, it is a delicate ministry uh one that you you cannot just say let me go into the hospice ministry That's right. that you yeah. Yeah, but truly believe this is a a true calling to ministry because the sensitivity that it's going to take um, to help people transition and to help the families deal with that transition are are absolutely necessary so as we move into life and current events mark uh, <laughs> Quote, unquote, the whole person is an important phrase for you. How does hospice fit into the
1: discussion? Yeah, this is, uh, we could go in so many different directions here. So I'll tell you a couple of uh, stories here to begin with. I have a doctor friend, a, a Comenius patron, actually, uh, who has been dealing with the issues of uh, encountering death, specifically through uh processes of assisted suicide. And she's standing foursquare against this, as I would as well, and and have helped her in the the process of thinking through some of these things theologically. But uh, we want to at least acknowledge that this is something that people do think about. Uh, We should probably have a whole program committed to assisted suicide. Uh, I want all our listeners to know, however, that you would find me uh, standing dead set against this and uh, this is uh, a firm uh, statement, but for another program, for in, for uh, for instance. But I think I needed to at least say that up front. So let me address the whole person issue. Let me talk about the Hebrew versus the Greek views of life. Now you think you know here you're a, you're a seminary professor. Yeah, okay. But let me give it to you this way. The Greeks believed that we were basically a pie chart. And you basically split us into pieces, like the physical, emotional, spiritual, intellectual. And we were all these different compartments. Uh, And so we're all fragmented in this way, and we think of ourselves in terms of pieces and parts. But the Hebrews were totally different. They believed in the whole person. They believed that if you drew a circle, that the intellectual, spiritual, emotional, all of that kind of stuff would crisscross over each other because we are all connected in that sense of things. So when we talk about hospice for the whole person, we're talking about welfare for the patient, That is physical, emotional, psychological, spiritual, intellectual, and on and on and on. We're talking about giving and caring for the whole person. And we are talking about the preparation for the end of life. And let me just say this, uh, H.B., I think this is an important thing to say. Not many people are going to say this on air, but let me uh, be bold and say it. Not many people think about death. And I'm going to be honest and frank with everybody and say we need to think about death more. In fact, every day when we get up, we ought to be thinking to ourselves, you know what, I've got one more day to give. Not one more day to live, but one more day to give. And we ought to think about it in terms of a gift. So when we think about life, we ought also to think about death in the same regard, realizing that we will spend an eternity Uh, in Jesus' arms or away from him. And I think that's an important concept to, to get across here as well. So not many people think about this uh, we want to approach this subject because it's an important one. We could spend a lot of time talking about it, but I think we need to at least be upfront about these things.
0: Uh, fear is a crazy thing. Yeah, and I was once told that it takes as much energy to be afraid as it does to have faith. So, there it is. Uh, which coin do you want to have uh, <laughs> in your pocket, so to speak? And, and we do have to, you know, think more about. Um, uh, Death, because it helps you stay in. I think correlation with why you are trying to right. live a clean spiritual life mm-hmm. of the the promise and of the the way you should just live anyway. Sure, but. Uh, if this is it, then you probably, yeah. you know, you probably are scared. Yeah, that's it. that's it.
1: If if there's an eternal judgment to which I must face, then I bear responsibility for that, and I need to think about those kinds of things. And one of the emphases, of course, is that uh, you know we only have one life to live, and yes. so there we are.
0: And, and great, you know, just a great segue to our next question. Uh, a great pastor once said, I told him that a dear friend of mine had just passed, and the text that I got back said. Good for him, bad for us. (laughs) (laughs) He's probably listening. He knows what I'm talking about. But that was that. It was incredible. But it's absolute truth. If you truly believe. So, uh, how can everyday Christians be involved with and invested in the work of being a chap? Sure.
1: Well, let me say once again, H.B., what you just said a moment ago, that this is very difficult work and this is not something you can just jump into. You cannot just say, hey, I'm going to become a hospice worker. Uh, There's rigorous training invested and involved in this. And quite frankly, it's it's, uh, very debilitating for the person who is taking care of uh, those who are suffering. Uh, So I want to mention somebody that you and I know, uh, HB, and that's my mom, your mom, your mom. Well, hello, mom. (laughs) So my mom has been a nurse for over 60 years, and... uh, mom has a tremendous ability to care for people as she does for uh, the folks that live around her now uh, caring for her neighbors and uh, she does a great job of this in lots of different ways I could tell you lots of stories about this but what I want to mention about mom and about folks like my mom is that she has a personality a giftedness for these kinds of things and what we need to do is we need to be recognizing hey is there somebody in trouble is does somebody have a need Am I concerned about my neighbors? Is there uh, an issue of listening? Can I listen to people? Can I simply be a neighbor? Uh, Can I be a friend? All of these things matter in terms of how we think about the issue of hospice and being a chaplain, literally the custodian of the message of the Gospel. So while we say that uh, hospice care is very rigorous and people can't do it by themselves, we also recognize that all of us can be chaplains or custodians of this message nonetheless in specific certain ways, uh, understanding that the bulk of this work is for professional folks or folks who have been trained in it. And that's what we want to emphasize today, the importance of hospice and chaplaincy and uh, what we're going to be talking about here. With Shannon in a few minutes.
0: Absolutely, and you know it's interesting that you mentioned that um, the authenticity of, of quality people, qu- people with good hearts. Um, you know, if you're doing hospice work and it's your job, then you should not be in that field. Mm. Should be. I think it's a call, man. Yeah. Absolutely. Not, this is not something you do just to say I'm looking for some employment. That's right. Uh, <laughs> oh, <seriously>. No. <laughs> so uh, why why is the work of hospice chaplaincy? So important for Christians uh, and the
1: church. And the church, yeah. So here's another story. Uh, there, there's been a number of uh, very difficult shootings around the United States in in these uh, years, uh, two of which have happened in the city of Denver, and that's where m- my mom lives. And uh, there was one in Columbine in the late 1990s, And then a theater shooting here just a couple of years ago. I mention these shootings because there's a chaplain in the uh, eldership of the church my mom attends, and this particular elder in the church literally is a a hospice chaplain in this sense of things. And so he cut short his vacation, literally, uh, went away from his vacation to come back and to deal with the awful impact of those kinds of things, the things that the folks in Denver were reeling from after uh, those horrific events. I mentioned this in regard to um, something that I've written on quite a bit. I know that that people, uh, they look at me kind of weird when I I talk about death all the time, and I think death is a very important subject. Uh, They think that I'm morose when I talk about this, and I'm not. I'm just being honest. So I wrote a piece. uh, You can find it at warpandwoof.org. That's W-A-R-P-A-N-D-W-O-O-F.org, and it's called The graveyard schools the schoolyard, contemplation of death for education and life. And my point in this particular essay, it's about a thousand words, take you about five minutes to read it, uh, has the idea that we bear responsibility for the young people that we're teaching to help them to understand look, Everybody dies, one out of one persons die, and so because of that, we bear responsibility for the life that we live now, and the education that we bear responsibility for, the time committed to that, is hugely important, and I know HBU and I share the same hand-in-hand, hand-in-glove emphasis, that uh, education is huge for young people, and I think death motivates us toward this emphasis. Education is
0: good for old people too. <laughs> I think when you know, just just personally speaking, you can you know, I think when you are committed to stop learning, then you probably death needs to be your next mm. step. Uh, that's just a one man's opinion. There you we're go. gonna come right back. Uh, we're talking about hospice chaplaincy today uh, on the Warp and Wolf Internet Radio Show. Tell somebody to tell somebody, and don't be afraid. <laughs>
2: I speak to myself sometimes, and I say, Oh, my, in a lot of ways, you're a lucky guy, and oh, now all you need is a chance to try and in love. Trying to let me out where are all those feelings that I want to touch Any love What a world for the lonely kind Sometimes I feel I'm gonna lose my mind, my mind Can anybody tell me just where to go En el love. ¡Gracias!
1: not absent on my campus. This is how one Comenius Institute student sees our work at IUPUI. Hi, I'm Dr. Mark Eccle. Multiple studies show that 75% of Christian young people may leave the church altogether after attending public universities. One of the key ingredients to maintaining Christian faith commitment through college is personal, spiritual investment in students. We are committed to spending time with Christian young people. The Comenius Institute, where Christian wisdom and college life meet. RadioNext.tv,
0: we are back. You are listening to the Comenius Institute radio-sponsored show, Warp and Woof Radio on the Cool <laughs> Roof site. Every Wednesday afternoo- uh, morning, uh, 10 a.m. to 12 o'clock p.m., we bring you uh, one of the best shows on the Internet where wisdom and knowledge connect. And the star of the show in the next hour just walked <laughs> in, uh, Mr. Shannon Cockrell. And uh, we're going to find out more about Grace Hospice Care. Uh, on the second hour of the show so we welcome him into the studio with Dr. Mark and I are in the last segment of giving you some information on hospice chaplaincy and uh, you know we always like to go to community engagement Mark in this last segment of the first hour and uh, so where do we go to learn about hospice chaplaincy and Tell us about some website or books, Mark. Sure,
1: yeah. So uh, I have a couple of uh, students who are chaplains, uh, one of whom is sitting right next to me right now. Uh, We're going to talk to Shannon in a few minutes. Uh, But I have another student from high school, actually. His name is Will Jensen. He's chaplain out in a hospital system in Aurora, Colorado. Aurora, Colorado. And uh his chaplain's uh work out there has tremendous input and impact on folks in uh, living in and around the Denver area. Uh a pastor of mine from some time back, his name is Greg Groatbeck. Greg Greg is a pastor in the Adrian area, Adrian, Michigan area, but he's now a chaplain in a hospice uh group. And uh we were messaging back and forth last night. He was giving me some great uh insights into some books and so on that I should share with everybody today. So I'd like to mention two two at least. Uh, The first is uh, by Douglas C. Smith. That's Douglas C. Smith. The title is Caregiving, Hospice-Proven Techniques for Healing Body and Soul. I'm just going to read the kind of a promo to this right off the Amazon page. One of America's leading hospice experts offers practical, easy-to-follow advice for caregivers and a holistic approach to treating the infirm or terminally ill. The author, Douglas C. Smith, organizes his material around a bill of patients' rights, which is really a powerful and important idea. Uh, There are tremendous uh, techniques, dialogues, all kinds of uh, benefits and exercises here for all different kinds of folks. And you should read the uh, promotional ideals as well, the folks that are just giving it all five stars, really tremendous stuff. The next book I'd like to mention is entitled I'm Here, Compassionate Communication and Patient Care. That's I'm Here, Compassionate Communication and Patient Care. And this is written by Marcus Engel. That's E-N-G-E-L, Marcus Engel. And what's really fascinating here is uh, this particular uh, book is one that is uh, interacting, again, with the personal narratives of patients. Develops a lot of humor uh, between professionals and those who are, uh, they are serving. Uh, but there are tremendous uh, benefits and promos from lots of different folks from children's hospitals in Corpus Christi, Texas, Uni- Columbia University in the city of New York. All kinds of folks are raving about this book. I think there are some uh, ways that we can go there that will help people.
0: Absolutely. And uh, early in the uh, conversation, Mark, we were talking about defining hospice and chaplaincy. Um, and it's a call, it's nothing to just ignore or play with. Um, if you're going to be in that. So what kind of Christian groups are involved sure. in hospice and chaplaincy around?
1: Well, i I got to give you a thanks here. Uh, you had mentioned one that I had never heard of before. It's right here in my own backyard, and this is uh, the alternative for seniors, which is the Abbey Hunt Bryce Home. That's A-B-B-I-E Hunt Bryce. That's B-R-Y-C-E. A home here for folks who might not have the financial wherewithal to help uh those who have need of hospice care and actually uh, do that for folks here in the Indianapolis area—that's area. a
0: conversation for another show. It is that. I mean seriously. Yeah. Because uh, most hospice uh, facilities are very, very expensive. Yeah, uh, indeed, uh, that's do. true. And I'm sure we're going to find out more about <laughs> yeah, that. That's so right. That's right.
1: Well, I got to give a shout out, uh, and this is uh, something brand new. I wanted to make sure to mention it on the air. Uh, We talk about Christian groups involved in hospice and chaplaincy. I get to give a shout-out to the folks uh, for whom I teach. I'm going uh, from right here from the radio show, get in an airplane, go down to Boca Raton, Florida. I know you're giving me a hard time about that's a tough gig. We really feel sorry (laughs) for you, Mark. (laughs) I'm going down there to teach for a very fine institution, Capitol Seminary and Graduate School, And I'm teaching a course down there, but I wanted to emphasize what they're doing. They have a brand new DMIN program that's starting just this coming fall, a Doctor of Ministry degree. And one of their degree approaches is in chaplaincy studies. And their first cohort starts this fall in 2017. I wanted to make sure to mention this. And just to kind of wet everybody's appetite out there listening, Uh, Listening to some of the ideas that uh, some of the course offerings that will be emphasized here. They've got addiction counseling and care, pastoral care and counseling and grief, loss and crisis, the role of psychology in ministry and care and counseling. Uh, ministry care and counseling through small groups, marriage and family. There's all kinds of different things that are being offered here. This is the Capitol Seminary and Graduate School through Lancaster Bible College. That's lbc.edu. And I highly recommend the programs. I highly recommend uh, Lancaster and certainly gra- uh, the graduate school that I teach for, Capitol Seminary and Graduate School in Lancaster, Pennsylvania.
0: Awesome. And uh, before we end this first uh, hour of the show, Mark, uh, I know you're the movie man. This, this is the part we wait for every week to find out what the movie buff is going to prescribe for the Christian listener uh, as it t- pertains to uh, end-of-life issues. Yes.
1: Well, there's one that's just come out. I'll mention it. I haven't seen it, so I wanted to say that out front. Uh, it's called Collateral Beauty with Will Smith. Uh, It's a very difficult scenario where uh, Will Smith plays a character who's dealing with suffering and loss, and he's actually writing letters to uh, this inanimate object called death. And uh, this interplay, from what I've read in the reviews, uh, seems fairly good. and And I wanted to mention it. It's called Collateral Beauty. Two though that I'd highly recommend. One is called Get Low. That's Get Low, L-O-W, it stars Robert Duvall. It's actually based on a tall tale, actually, of an old man who uh, fakes his own death and then brings together the funeral uh, group so that he can hear the stories of the people. Oh, he wants to hear his own <laughs> he, eulogy.
0: He does. He wants to hear the eulogy. Oh, you know he doesn't understand <laughs> Christ and going to heaven. This <laughs> <laughs> is
1: He's having his own funeral party. So it's really kind of interesting to hear the stories from friends before you die. That's Robert Duvall and Get Low. And then one uh, that I think is really powerful and important, if you haven't seen it, check it out. The title of it is WIT. That's W-I-T, W-I-T, WIT. It stars Emma Thompson. She's a college professor who discovers she has terminal cancer, a very touching story, that the various stages of grief and suffering that she goes through in her own journey uh, toward death. I really highly recommend this. I think it's a very poignant tale and one that uh, should give us pause for thought, again, about death, about hospice, about chaplaincy, and the goodness
0: of what the Christian world and life view brings to us. Well, we're going to continue this great conversation uh, at 11 o'clock when Shannon Cockrell comes in, I'm sure he has some uh, information about hospice and um, assisting those who are getting ready to leave this earth as we know it. Um, but before we go to the break, uh, get ready, people, because I think people will stop being born before people stop dying. Just mm. <laughs> <just> <laughs> because they say one thing is definite, right? That's right. Death and taxes, mm-hmm. uh, birth ain't promised. So mm-hmm. we're going to come right back. And uh, you're listening to Warp and Woof Radio on the Cool Groove site at
1: radionext.tv. radionext.tv at the Cool Groove site. We are back. You're listening to Warp and Woof Radio every Wednesday from 10 till noon. And this particular Wednesday, we are talking about hospice care, specifically. The work of the hospice chaplain. And in our first hour, we talked about kind of the background to this, uh, different folks and groups in our own community as well as uh, nationally that are doing some great work. Uh, Capital Bible Seminary and grad school out in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, has a brand new chaplaincy program. Uh, we talked about the Annie Bryce uh, hospice care facility over here in Indianapolis, and we're really glad to promote that uh, particular group as well. Uh, We talked about hospice as being literally a care station for travelers and chaplain being the custodian of the message. Uh, That is, in our case, for the Christian, uh, we are concerned about the custodian of the message of the gospel and for those who are in suffering and pain and also those in the throes of death and our responsibility toward all of those individuals and groups. But In this particular hour, as we do uh, most every week, in our second hour we have a great interview with folks who are actually doing the thing that we're talking about, uh, in this case, it's the hospice chaplain, and we are really pleased uh, in this hour to have Shannon Cockrell with us from Grace Hospice. Shannon, thanks so much for being here. Tell us a little bit about yourself, your family, uh, what you're doing here in Indianapolis, and all of the good things going on in your life.
3: Yeah, um, I'm originally from uh, Decatur, Alabama, so you know, roll tide. Uh, <laughs> I'm married to Breanne. She's a school teacher. She's teaching right now, actually. Oh, great. Where does she teach? The Warren Early Childhood Center. Okay. So she gets them young, and I get them old. (laughs) That's good. Uh, We have two children. Josiah, he's five. Uh, Reese is two. Nice. So um, Moved up here, and I got my bachelor's in pastoral theology at Crossroads. Yep. Um, I was one of your first students at Uh. Crossroads. Then I went on and got my Master's in Divinity from uh, Liberty University. Excellent. And right now I'm uh, doing a chaplaincy, and I'm teaching various online classes as adjunct professor.
1: That's great. Where are you doing the adjunct uh, work that you're doing right now?
3: Well, I'm developing a course for uh, Cedarville Theological Seminary. Oh,
1: look at you, Cedarville, moving yeah. on up, man. That's and great.
3: And I'm teaching... Uh, some online classes at Austin Bible Institute and they mo- they work mostly with uh, orphans and orphan care so wow well that really fits missionaries yeah
1: that really fits is is this Austin is, it, is it, we're talking about Texas Yes. yes okay yes. all right good excellent so that you you're doing the work not only of the hospice care individually personally for folks but you're also training others perhaps to think more clearly about how this happens
3: yes definitely Especially at Austin, we're training the missionaries so they'll be more theologically grounded Mm. so they can take care of people who don't have that privilege that we have here of studying the Bible.
1: That's great. So you give them a foundation then from which to launch. Yes. And then they go on from there and practice it in their personal lives. Yes. Oh, that's really great. Yes, yes. That's great. So uh, tell us a little bit about the kind of courses that you're developing. I'm especially, frankly, the first time I'm hearing this about Cedarville. (laughs) uh, Tell me about this course for Cedarville you're developing. Um,
3: Cedarville course is a Greek 3 course. uh, And he wants me to do some Greek 4 possibly. Wow definitely working on that, where I I record the lessons and then send it out, and then they go from there.
1: Oh, very good. Well, uh, let's kind of uh, jump into the issues uh, that kind of surround us here today. Tell us a little bit about uh, Grace Hospice Care and uh, how you got invested and involved with that group.
3: Yeah, Uh, we're, the Grace Hospice for Indianapolis is new, but we have uh, companies and hospices in uh, Michigan, Ohio. We're off on uh, 9100 Purdue Road on the west side. Okay. So, um, and what I do basically, well, how I got involved with them, it, ha- it was just God. Um, the director called and said, uh, I have your resume here, and I don't remember sending that resume into to them. And oh, my. I was their first <laughs> interview for wow. Chaplin, first wow. interview period. And she was like, you want the job? I was like, sure. So, wow. And now is match made in heaven,
1: wow, so you say it's a match made in heaven, What made it that
3: way? Just me jumping right in and just going, you okay, know, I love working with uh the people, the elderly, the ones who are you know, at the end of life and mm-hmm. helping them ease into that unknown. Sure. So for a lot of them, it's really unknown.
1: Yeah. So when you're talking about this kind of uh, contribution that you're making in, in individuals' lives, uh, tell us about the concepts that you bring forward to make them feel more comfortable. What are the, some of the things that you talk about uh, in your life?
3: Well, the first thing is definitely having something to be grounded on importance of God or a higher being if they that way um, and just mostly being a presence just a ministry of presence you'd be surprised how a lot of folks um, they don't want you just to say anything just mm. a lot of them just want you to be there mm. just to hold their hand wow because uh, some of them die alone mm. and no one should die alone mm. You know, because mm. every human being is created in the image of God so that means everyone has the Dignity and value and self-esteem, and so mm. they should be treated that way. Mm. So.
1: so you literally sit with people yes. and hold their hand? Yes. Wow.
3: Um, one patient in particular, um, it was in December, um, and she's the, she was the grandmother of one of my coworkers. So uh, they were like, well, can you come out and sit with her? Because I've been doing the chaplaincy with her for a while. Uh, sat there for about four hours, mm. just sat. Read scriptures that she wanted me to read, praying with her, and she didn't pass until I got all the way back home. Mm. So, wow!
1: I remember once uh, on a social media post. uh, This just kind of pops into my mind on a social media post. Once you uh, wrote that uh, you were just just that day sitting with your very first, uh, the very first person that you had uh, sat with as they died. Mm -hmm. Tell us about how that feels. The emotional. Uh, response that you have to that?
3: The, the emotional response is definitely one of sometimes relief mm. for the family because they're pent up emotions mm. uh, especially if the patient is a believer knowing that right now they're happier than we are mm-hmm. they're in the presence of God um, and just dealing with the different emotions that the family has because mm. a lot of times the patient is ready to go and so they're just you know you can finally see that smile and then they're they just go and they're
1: gone yep. mm. but but what does it mean to you personally as an individual i mean how does how do you respond to this emotionally shannon cockrell how does shannon cockrell deal with this
3: i deal with it from a, you know christian perspective knowing that there's no grief if they're a believer so they're definitely in heaven but you have to learn to uh, compartmentalize your emotions, mm. especially not taking it home. Mm. You know, working in this field where you're around death, sickness, all the time. So mm. compartmentalizing that and looking at it through a Christian lens special really helps, really mm. helps. And for me to be strong for the patient, for the family, I have to be strong in, uh, in my faith, in my relationship with God. Mm. So that's first.
1: So the emphasis on this, we, we talked early in the, f- in the first hour about the whole person. And we talked about the importance of the physical, emotional, spiritual, psychological, intellectual, all of that as being one in that Hebraic concept, which I'm sure you Mm -hmm. remember from some of the earliest teaching we did back in 2010 or thereabouts. Um, When we talk about these kinds of things, then, do you find yourself in a setting or in a state of mind that says, you know, all of me as a person is invested and involved in this?
3: Yes, definitely. Um, because physically, I'm there with them. Mm. Uh, spiritually and then mentally, I'm there with them. Because a lot of times, I have to be strong for them. Mm. Because if I go in shaking and you know not knowing what's going on, mm. that's not going to help them at all. Right. So knowing that physically, mind, body, and soul, I have to be there for that person. Mm. That's the most important thing
1: wow when let 's go back to the hospice uh, grace hospice, sorry, um, mm-hmm. that particular group, and it fascinates me because you said you said that uh, you don 't remember sending the resume in and that this person called you and said we 'd like you to start um, w- when you think about those kinds of things and, and we 're obviously between you and I and anybody else who understands christian theology we 're talking about the providence of God mm-hmm. here. How does the providence of God factor into hospice care, specifically for you as a chaplain? uh, How have you seen the providence of God work, not only in yourself, but perhaps in the folks that you're helping uh, and the families that are there?
3: Definitely, you know, seeing God move behind the scenes, it sets up, you know, he's working way in the past to Mm -hmm. lead up to certain events. Mm -hmm. Uh, I can think of one patient where... uh, we got him. he was he hadn't been out of his house since 1996. Wow. Um, his only contact with the outside world was his pastor mm. who would come and visit him mm. and you know God connected me with this man, with the patient, and I get there and he's ministering to me more than I'm ministering to him. Wow, he's like you know he's in bed MS barely opened his eyes, but he's quoting Romans eight, the entire chapter.: Oh, ministering to me. Oh like, my wow. Uh, then I think of another how before I got into the hospice field, I was working special education uh with special needs kids that trained me to deal with the patient that we have now who our company has never dealt with a patient who is under thirty mentally disabled brain cancer mm. and so, with my skill that I got back then, mm-hmm. I was able to work with him because you know they're not familiar with working with this type of person so mm. I have that training that God set up years in advance to lead Mm. me to being a chaplain today. Mm.
1: Wow, those are great stories and and important for our listeners to hear so that they understand, hey, this is something that's going on. It's it's not something that's a one-and-done or a run-and-gun kind of setting or situation. Um, I was just uh, giving uh, HB a a gift for uh, being a board member, uh, which is the Beyond Suffering Bible Mm -hmm. uh, through Johnny and Friends. And uh, Johnny and Friends does a great work uh, with the folks that uh, have all kinds of challenges, whether they be physical or mental uh, challenges, but nonetheless, uh, a huge uh, benefit for all of those folks. Uh, we're coming to uh, maybe uh, this, the, the end of this first segment where we are going to take a short musical break and we'll come back and we'll talk for a very a longer time, 20, 25 minutes. But before we do that, Uh, Tell us about the importance and the necessity of Bible study as it relates to what you're doing as a hospice chaplain.
3: Yeah, definitely. Knowing that one of my biggest tools going into there is the Word of God. Mm. And so I have to be studied up. I have to be prayed up. I have to know. So I'm not going in there teaching or speaking to them something in the field. Because the Bible tells us in Second Timothy to handle it correctly, mm. to orthotomeo, to straight cut it, mm-hmm. handle it with precision. And so, no matter what I'm doing, I still have an obligation to teach this book mm-hmm. properly. Mm. And so, the Bible is for all of life. Mm. All of life is theological. Mm. Someone once said, "Oh know, my,
1: yes. look at you quoting this stuff now. Check it out. Everything is yes. theological. I love it." Oh, this is wonderful. It's so good to be with Shannon again. You're listening to TV at the Cool Groove site. This is Warp and Woof Radio. We come to you every Wednesday morning, 10 to noon, and we give you all kinds of intersection of wisdom, uh, bringing very practical uh, issues to the fore, and then, of course, asking folks who are the experts in the field to come and talk about these things. We'll be back in a few minutes after a short musical break. And you are back at Warp and Woof Radio every Wednesday morning from 10 until 12. And we are dealing with very important practical subjects every single week. And we are glad this week to have in studio with us Shannon Cockrell, who actually works as a hospice chaplain himself and has, of course, studied the scriptures himself, as he said in the first uh, segment, has done uh, all kinds of groundwork as he suggests uh, God's word is the most important tool that he has uh, in his tool belt as he helps people uh, navigate the throes of suffering distress and toward the end of life issues so uh, Shannon uh, let's uh, start with some more questions here uh, in the second hour Uh, when you talk about hospice care with people and when they ask you "Hey, what is it that you do how is it that you respond what is hospice care
3: We're not telling them that hospice care is helping folks get through the end of life comfortably and with dignity. Mm. And it's, um, like you said earlier in the show, it's, you know, originally hospice was a place of shelter and rest for the weary. And when you're dealing with people with terminal illness, you know, they're tired. And we're there to help them make that transition as seamless as possible. Mm. So that's, you know, that's what I do. I, I tell them I'm a minister of presence. I love more. that line. Yeah.
1: Minister of Presence. Wow. i got to put that down somewhere. <laughs> Write that down. That's really cool. Well, you mentioned a word that I wanted to kind of uh, highlight here for just a moment, and that's the word dignity. Uh, and, of course, from our perspective as Christians and uh, certainly uh, studiers of Scripture, uh, we know that this uh, dignity comes from a certain place. Uh, when you deal with um These end-of-life issues, do you ever have opportunity to talk about or talk with the patients that they are made in God's image and have worth, value, and dignity?
3: Yes. It it comes up a lot where a lot of the patients are, uh, why am I here? Uh, Or, no one cares about me. Mm. No one comes to see me. No one visits me. Why is God allowing me to suffer? Mm -hmm. And, you know, that, that opens the door. You have to be sensitive, and that opens the door to know you know, God created you in his image. That alone gives you the the, the fact that you can die with dignity. You don't have to die alone. Mm. Uh, you have someone to walk through you, walk with you through this journey. Mm. And so that opens the door to show them I'm not just a person that's suffering. Mm. I'm a person who's created in the image of God. Mm. You mentioned
1: this uh, phrase that I can't wait to write down, a minister of presence, And you and I have, uh, of course, know from a Christian vantage point, we talk about this uh, word all the time. We talk about witness. uh, But one of the words that uh, I like to talk about is withness. Mm. That is that you have to be with people. Uh, Talk about, uh, for a moment, the importance of relational connection and specifically the physical bond that we have between us as human beings. How does that work? What does that look like? What's your take on that?
3: Well, you know, we were created, you know, when God created Adam, he said it's not good that man should be alone. And so we are created with that relationship. Mm. Um, And so we need someone um, to, all throughout life, from the cradle to the grave, we are created with that longing to to grasp, to hold Mm. on to something. And so that's important to build that relationship, Mm. you know, just the touch. And, And there was a study done recently where. A lot of people, like 80% of the people who died, died alone. Mm. You know, no one came to see them in the facilities. No mm. one. And that's one thing where, as a hospice and hospice chaplaincy, we're able to get in there and get those people, mm. you know, relationships. And we can bring in volunteers to just sit with them. Because mm. a lot of times people just want to know that you're there. You know, they don't care what you have to say. Mm. They don't care how many degrees you have behind your name. They yeah. just want to know that you're there you care for.
1: Mm. We live in a world of uh, digital concerns. I mean, even just a moment ago, you and I were talking about how you're creating these online courses and you're sending in videos and so on. And we we do so much at a distance Mm. anymore. How do you deal with that kind of concept? We live in a a world at a distance, but yet you are dealing with a very personal, physical relationship uh, here in this hospice care. How do you navigate both those worlds?
3: With wisdom. Uh, It's tough. It's tough um, because, you know, like you said, we're getting further and further away from relationship. Mm -hmm. And when I think about when God created the temple in the Old Testament Mm -hmm. and the tabernacle and how he desired to walk with man. Mm -hmm. But because of our sin, we couldn't be in his presence. And so what did he do? He put the veils. He allowed us to get as close as possible Mm -hmm. to him because you know what if he what if god saved us from a distance mm. that's not salvation right knowing that believing that jesus died that's history but believing that jesus died for you that's salvation mm. it's personal yeah so, so we're
1: talking about the incarnation now we're yes. talking about god in flesh in flesh and so what you're doing in hospice care really is a manifestation of jesus incarnation on earth, earth.
3: being his hands and his feet to yeah. the people to showing them like uh Matthew says we're uh salt and we're light mm. we add flavor we preserve we expose we lighten the path for people in mm. darkness mm.
1: Well, those are great concepts and certainly something to consider. You know, here we are in an Internet radio station, and we're talking about these kinds of ideas. Uh, but it, it necessitates us getting outside of a radio station, getting outside of a microphone, and going to be with people. Uh, that's going to be the huge issue always for all of mm-hmm. us, you know, in that respect. So uh, when you talk about um, the issue of being a hospice chaplain and your role, uh, Can you tell us about the role that you play? I mean, you've talked about some of the characteristics you bring and so on. Is there anything that you can add to that in terms of the role that you play? Yeah.
3: Um, Dealing with grief, grief work is soul work. And so we have to Oh, wait,
1: wait, wait. (laughs) Grief work is soul work. Man,
3: you heard it here first. Shannon Conkroy. Go ahead, man. That was great. And how we have to get to the root of the issue. And so as a chaplain, You know, I don't go in there with medicine. That's the nurse's job. My job is to go in there and be a faith presence to that person, Mm. to be a grief guide, Mm. basically, to help navigate them through, especially, you know, when you have the family that's involved. Uh, My job is to kind of create space so that we can have those conversations about, Mm -hmm. you know, yes, my mother is dying. I have anger. I have this. Now let's create the space so we can deal with that that's mm-hmm. in your soul. Mm-hmm. Because as you know, in the Old Testament, the soul was important. Mm-hmm. You know, all the Psalms you read about, why are you so downcast, my soul, and lead me to the rock to get the soul above. You know, it's a mm-hmm. picture of the soul was choking, mm-hmm. so you get to the rock. So the soul is the the core of the person, mm-hmm. and that's what we have to, you know, help heal people spiritually, physically, and mentally, mm-hmm. deal with the whole person.
1: Mm-hmm. The core of the person. So the issue that that we really are dealing with here is something out of Ecclesiastes 3, uh, where Solomon said that eternity is hidden in the hearts of men. Mm -hmm. So every single person is longing for this uh, eternal connection, Mm -hmm. and we are the ones who bring that eternal connection.
3: Yes. Yeah. We, we, we help anchor them so that they can go to that next, you know, that tra- make that transition. Mm-hmm. Because they're already dealing with fear. Some are dealing with anger. They don't know what's going to happen when I close my eyes for the last mm-hmm. time. Yeah.
1: The transition, that's an important word, too. When you, when you think about crossing over uh, that bridge and uh, into the next life, and, as I suggested on the first hour, you know this isn't something that we really talk about much, and frankly, people don't like to talk about this mm-hmm. I mean, you don't have sitcoms based on death nope. i mean not not any that make you laugh anyway that's for sure, so uh, this is a really powerful and important concept, and one that needs uh you know a Christian voice for sure so uh, this might sound a really strange question, frankly, but why do you enjoy working with people who are dying i mean that sounds kind of almost off to ask you yeah. that question but i gotta ask it anyway
3: i enjoy the the open doors that it gives me Ooh. a lot of times i'm ministering more to the family hmm. and a lot of them aren't believers okay and so that gives me the chance to okay uh to do the seeds hmm. to, sh- to share the gospel to people who are hurting who are seeking hmm. and a lot of times they they're acting out of anger and fear hmm. And so a lot of times they don't want you in the room at first. Okay. But once you build that relationship, they look forward to you coming.
1: Okay. More than yeah. the
3: patient does. Huh. Which is, I find that a lot. That hmm. the, the family needs you more than the actual patient. Well, how do, you, how do you
1: build that relationship? You talked about them not wanting you, but how do you entice them into acknowledging you and wanting you to be there?
3: You know, I think it goes back to uh, the way that my grandmother raised me. And oh, you know, because she died in hospice too. Okay. And so, you know, I'm, I don't go in there beating them with the Bible. Mm-hmm. I don't go in there promoting Christianity. I just mm-hmm. go and let my life and what I do, my actions, speak for itself. Okay. We minister to them, mm-hmm. and once they see, okay, he's not pushing Christianity. Maybe he's okay. Mm-hmm. So at the end of the visit, hey, can you pray with me? And they ask me to pray with them How about that. So it's just being there and not just forcing my mm-hmm. way in. Mm-hmm. Open doors. So that's really the answer to the question. you enjoy working with dying people. Open doors.
1: Okay. And as you suggested, just to make this point again, that uh, really what the comfort that you're offering is often comfort for the family Mm -hmm. of those who are dying.
3: Yes. Mm. Because um, I've come to see that grief calls for presence, not treatment. Mm. You know, there's really no way to treat grief. Grief. There's, you know, there's not a medicine. There's not... You know, and, uh, uh, Kubler-Ross with her five stages. Mm-hmm. Some people can be in those stages for years in one stage. Mm-hmm. And so I've learned that death and grief, they're messy. And so my job is to help get in there and kind of clean the people up. Mm-hmm. And so that's you know, those open doors. That's what I look for
1: death and grief are messy yeah. and grief is not a treatment, it's a presence. Man, these are tweetable things, yeah. you know, you're talking about. I'm here. Have to put them on Facebook. There you go, yeah. man. Put those things up. That, those are powerful ideas here. So, what is the biggest thing that you bring to a patient? What is it that you offer them specifically uh, in this hospice environment that you're in? Uh,
3: two things. Present, you know, my presence there, and then uh, hope. You mm. know, they need that hope. Uh, Proverbs thirteen twelve: hope deferred makes the heart sick. Mm. But a longing fulfilled is a tree of life. Mm. And so a lot of times, just giving those people the hope, not the hope that you're going to get miraculously better, but the hope that someone is coming back to see you next week. Mm. I'm, I'm coming back. That gives you the expectation to look forward to. Mm. Uh, and then Proverbs twelve twenty five: anxiety weighs down the heart. But a kind word cheers it up. Mm -hmm. So these people are already weighed down with the doctors coming in and poking them in their diagnosis. But I come in and offer them hope, the Mm -hmm. expectation of uh, good. Mm And by
1: the way, folks that are listening here today and later in the podcast, I did not prompt Shannon to use Proverbs. I just want you to know that. That's yes, right. Even though Proverbs is the cornerstone of this show, <laughs> he yep. did that all on his own. Uh, let's uh, walk that back just a minute and mm-hmm. talk about the doctors and the nurses. Um, just for a moment, have, have you had any kind of interconnective relationship with them uh, in any way? And if so, in what way? And tell us about whether it's positive or negative.
3: Yeah, well, as part of our hospice, we have what we call an IDG team. And so it's uh, chaplain, nurse, aide, social worker. And so we're all going to this patient different ways, different views. And we come back, we meet every 15 days, and we lay out this is what, from the spiritual point, this is what the patient Hmm. is like. Hmm. Physically, this way. And from there, we can build a plan to care for them Hmm. carefully so it's... You know is mutual respect, yeah. you know I respect their field because I know I can't diagnose, I don't know anything about that yeah. stuff, and they respect what I do, mm-hmm. and so that's earned, you know respect mm. is earned, and um I started sending out weekly emails, reflections for our group oh. uh, think because a lot of thing, a lot of times what you run into in hospice and in any kind of medical field is burnout, mm. and a lot of times it's not visible Mm -hmm. you know they they do a good job of holding it in Mm -hmm. and that's dangerous to Mm -hmm. hold in that because this is a stressful job you know dealing with people who you may see one day you come back and they're gone Mm -hmm. and so dealing with them helping them to see that it's okay to grieve it's okay to have questions spiritually and so that's Mm kind of how i see myself is a part you know part of a team that we're working together to provide the best care that we can for this patient
1: so uh, this isn't something that you necessarily set out to do but nonetheless you still are a witness to everybody including the team that you're with mm-hmm. yeah and the opportunities that you're given uh, perhaps even to speak uh on behalf of the christian message is something that might come out of all of this yes. and certainly through your reflections every week that's kind of cool too it oh, gives yeah. you an opportunity to write some yeah That's great. Well, man, I'll look forward to uh, publicizing your Amazon book here whenever it comes out, you know, and and put you on the list of all of those other folks I was reading about here just a moment ago. Well, uh, when you just mentioned the issue of hope a moment ago, so why is hope so important?
3: Hope is important because it gives that person something to to live for, Mm. to look forward to. Martin Luther King, Jr. said, "We must accept finite disappointment, but never lose infinite hope. Mm. So hope gives people something to fight for mm. because you'll have patients who uh they'll last years on hospice, uh, or you have some who will last a week, mm. but it's giving them something to look forward to instead of just looking forward to you know that I'm going to die, mm. but giving them hope that you know there's something you can hold on to." Uh, Desmond Tutu said that hope is being able to see that there is light despite all the darkness. Mm. So they're already under a cloud of darkness. They're already th- th- the patients that we give their diagnosis is six months or less to live, and so that right there uh, put a damper on anybody. Yeah, knowing that I have six months or less to live, and so my job is to go in there and give them that hope. And if they're believers. Then that's even better, because mm-hmm. so, we can just go right into celebrating and sure. just move right on into it. Yeah, so
1: that's great. You know, the hope issue really is huge. I, I think about this uh, on a regular basis. Sometimes I wonder if the centerpiece of the Christian message isn't that very issue—that there's an expectation of something beyond this life. Uh, How would you say people respond to the issue of hope with you and whether they be be believers or not believers? uh, Is this something they're excited about, anxious to hear, whatever? I think
3: a lot of them look forward to deep down, Mm -hmm. you know, that that hope, that, you know, uh, that favorable expectation of good. Something Mm -hmm. good is going to happen. It could be my mother's dying with brain cancer, but there's a hope that. She can recognize me still, Mm -hmm. things like that. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the Hebrew, the root word for uh, hope there, it means to twist, to bind together. Mm. So, you know, when all of life is falling apart, I come in and try to help them tie it together, Mm. to hold it together, Mm. which is important.
1: Mm. Well, you know, since you're talking about languages now, okay, so now we got to jump to this issue because it was something you mentioned early on, and certainly you and I have been discussing this for years now, uh, your connection to the languages and uh, your love of them. So you just mentioned the root word to the Hebrew for hope, you know, and all this, and everybody out there is going, what? (laughs) And, And we're, you know, two guys here who love the languages, think they're really important and powerful, Hebrew, Aramaic, and Greek. Uh, the languages in which God's word is written. Mm-hmm. So why are the languages so important to Bible study and specifically uh, perhaps to what we do, what
3: you do in hospice care? The, the languages are so important because they, they're going to give you uh, the vivid details and the nuances that an English translation just can't bring out.
1: Okay, wait now. Vivid details <laughs> and nuances. Now that sounds pretty cool. Tell us what a nuance is. Explain that.
3: Well, it's kind of like the word for spirit, pneuma. Mm -hmm. It can mean breath, it can mean wind, and it can mean spirit, like the Holy Spirit. And so knowing what that Greek word is, what that Hebrew word is, it keeps you from teaching uh, wrongly and error. Mm. And again, that's like I said earlier, it's about accurately handling the scriptures. Mm. That's what you're doing. And So getting into those languages you realize that Hebrew, Greek and Aramaic, those are the only languages that God chose to communicate his Mm -hmm. word to us. Mm. And so, you know, knowing Greek knowing Hebrew gives you options to Mm -hmm. a text. It's not going to give you all the answers, but it will help you develop the right questions to ask Mm -hmm. of a text. Mm. Because if I go into a patient with a scripture pulled out of context I'm doing the scripture's a great disservice, and I'm doing that patient mm-hmm. a great disservice.
1: Mm. So, the connection, of course, to the uh, original language really provides the foundation for what you're doing in a hospice.
3: Mm-hmm. Again, you know, going back um, in Romans, it talks about showing hospitality to people mm-hmm. the hospitality, hospice, uh, that love of strangers and mm-hmm. foreigners, I think you were talking about mm-hmm. earlier. And so, dealing with people who are, you know, strangers, showing them hospitality hospice giving them a place to rest to Mm. find shelter
1: Mm. that's really a a powerful concept i think i mentioned the hebrew word maksa Mm. earlier which means shelter or refuge and uh Actually, next week we're going to have on the program somebody who runs Maksa, Mase um, mm. Center up in uh, north-central Indiana, a place of refuge and shelter for people to go for uh, retreat. Uh, but nonetheless, this, these are important ideas, I think, for uh, everybody to kind of grasp hold of. Frankly, uh, they don't re- really get talked about much. Not only do we not talk about death, but we really don't talk much about the power of language and its importance, not just in terms of our Christian lives, but how it should be applied in our Christian yeah. lives.
3: And you know, doctors will tell you that hearing is one of the last senses to go, hmm. and so that's important that you're there. You know, your, you know, your family member may be in a coma, hmm. but they can still hear, hmm. and so just speaking to them, and yeah, that's what we tell, the, you know, the family all the time. You know, just hold their hand, hmm. uh, talk to them, hmm. you know, communicate, and so. Hmm.
1: Hearing is one of the last senses to go. Honestly, that's a huge issue, right? I mean, we're talking about the whole person, the physical, Mm -hmm. spiritual, intellectual, all of that. So to know that hearing might be the last sense to actually go uh, in anybody's life, that really brings us to the point of, you know, why we should keep talking with people and and why communication is so important. And you do this on a regular basis. So do you ever think about it this way? This just kind of dawns on me, but do you ever think about it as... Like, you're sitting in a chair, but this is really your pulpit?
3: Yes, and that's dangerous. <laughs> it's dangerous to give a preacher a microphone. So yeah. But definitely, you know, talking to them, and you know, with the patient that I work with, I say with the mental disabilities, you know, he's nonverbal, but I still talk to him like he can mm-hmm. respond to me mm-hmm. because he's created the image of God, mm-hmm. and he deserves that dignity. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, still speaking to that person, Get given those open doors, mm-hmm. planting the seeds, because we can never limit the power of the Holy Spirit. We mm-hmm. don't know what he can do with what you said in that person's mm-hmm. life.
1: Absolutely. Well, wow, that's really powerful and poignant stuff there. This is a, a, a really important concept, and one that uh, we need to appropriate more and more, I think, in the church generally. So let me just ask a question kind of off the cuff here, because it kind of dawns on me as we've been talking about the church just generally. Um, how do you think the church should be invested in hospice and uh, specifically in the chaplaincy issues? Uh, do you, I, I don't know, I guess I'll just leave it like that. How do you get the church to recognize this is important?
3: Uh, uh, awareness, getting it out there, letting them know, you know, uh, um, Medicaid covers a lot of hospice, a lot of it is free, mm. especially ours. You know, it's uh, Medicaid covers it. And so a lot of people they don't know like mm. Hosea said my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge mm. so just getting that awareness that people out there are dying alone no one should have to die alone no one should have to die in uh, pain and so with hospices, you know we can come in we can help regulate pain and we can do things like that but with the church just you know getting that awareness out there mm. I know in my church there's one other uh, chaplain there also. Mm. He does hospice also, and and so just I guess getting that awareness, training people, uh, letting them know, you know, if there's more affordable options, Mm. money could be an issue with someone. Mm -hmm, Sure. And so a lot of them, you know, they put their loved ones in facilities, and not every facility, but a lot of them, you know, we hear the horror stories Mm. of how they treat the patients. But with you know with hospice, we can get in there. One on one more slow care, mm. more personal care, and that's mm. what it's about that person- personal mm. relationship there mm.
1: slow care really kind of stands out to me there the idea of doing things uh at over time uh in a pace mm-hmm. that's a lot more relaxed than the pace that we generally live our lives as Americans, yes. you know
3: we're fast, yeah we're fast, we want it yep.
1: And we're always interested in uh, you know, getting something accomplished in a certain amount of time and efficiency and all that. But when you're talking about a human life, you're not, we're not talking about efficiency anymore. That's right. Yeah, We're talking about care and consistency of, of compassion for these individuals. So, again, for those listening, uh, emphasis in the church ought to be awareness. Uh, this ought to be something that's talked about. We ought to stop sidestepping the issues of death and become involved in this. Find mm-hmm. folks like Shannon and Grace Hospice uh, here in Indianapolis that might be able to help out with that and even knowing frankly that Medicaid is available Mm -hmm. That makes hospice free and this is a huge issue Mm -hmm. right for for folks financially. Yeah, so all of those things matter Uh, when you uh, when we first started talking about doing this on air and uh, I asked for your uh, perspective on this you said uh, one of the things you said that was that you use your job as a tool for ministry and fulfilling the Great Commission. Why don't you kind of build that out for us a little bit? Help us to understand what that really means.
3: Yeah, um, the Great Commission. I'll, I'll just read it real quick Matthew 28, uh, starting at verse 16. You know, Jesus at the end of his life, he's giving these final words. You know, final words are very important. So he's saying, then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go, make disciples of all nations, all ethnic groups, literally, Mm -hmm. baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you. There's that presence again, Mm -hmm. always to the very end of the age. And so, my job as a chaplain, working, I come in contact with all kinds of ethnic groups, all Mm. kinds of people, and that is the Great Commission. Mm. Go out there and make disciples of every ethnic group, every Mm. nation. And so I get the opportunity to share the gospel with unbelievers and with believers. Mm. And so building that relationship that, you know, even after the patient dies, we have uh, a bereavement program. Which I'm the chaplain and the bereavement coordinator, so wow. I do dual roles. Okay. Where I stay in contact with the family for up to 13 months, and I send out about once every three months a letter that you know just helps them go through the grief process mm-hmm. because it's like I said earlier, uh, grief is messy. No one grieves alike, mm-hmm. and so just having something written that they can look at to to see, and then you know I leave them my card and stuff like that, and it's like if anything ever comes up later down the line, hey, I can call that chaplain. I'm always available. So Mm. just those building those relationships, planting those seeds, and just let God handle the rest.
1: Mm. This is not, so you're suggesting here that this is not a one and done setting.
3: No, 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 no.
1: This is a long-term commitment to people.
3: Yep. Wow. I I think that's what gets a lot of people. Yeah. This person is not just done. Once my family member dies, Mm -hmm. they pack up, they leave. No. Once they die within three days, I'm on the phone calling you. Hmm. I'm sending you a letter. I'm setting up a visit to come see about you. Wow. And that's, that's what I do.
1: Man, can I hire you as my hospice chaplain right yeah, now? you
3: can. <laughs> you can. <laughs> All right.
1: I mean, seriously, that's really cool that somebody would uh, take that time. And, you know, you caught me sideways here uh, just thinking about that, the idea that somehow – uh, this is not just uh, during this period of transition from life to death, but yeah. this is an ongoing process. Yeah.
3: That's great. Because they're going to need you in those moments. After, after the funeral's done, after everyone's gone, when those emotions hit and you have a chance to mm-hmm. rest, mm-hmm. that's when you'll need the chaplain a lot. That's mm-hmm. when you'll need And so we're not just there till they die and we're out. We're there with you 13 months and even longer if need be. Well, it makes even
1: more sense now <laughs> what you said earlier about uh, you're there for the patient, but oftentimes more often just for the family. Mm-hmm. And so knowing that you have a longevity yep. I- embedded within this, uh, that's huge, yep. absolutely huge. So thanks for emphasizing that. I, I didn't realize that, it, that you had such a long-term commitment oh, in yeah. that sense. So uh, what are some lessons that you've learned since you've started being a chaplain? Uh, What are some things that kind of stand out to you and and things that, uh, in your own way, that you would never have learned in a classroom?
3: Definitely that death and grief are, like I said earlier, messy. And no one grieves alike. No one dies the same. Mm. Uh, And so dealing with that and knowing how to navigate those waters, Mm. so... You know in a classroom you know they teach you the five stages of grief, this, this, and this, but to get out there practically and see that one person can fly through all five stages like that one person they they're stuck on denial for years. Mm. Why did God take my loved one and so knowing that death and grief are messy, I can get in there with them, not to stay with them, but to pull them out, mm. to help pull them out of that pit mm. and so uh, another one is that, you know, no two people grieve alike. You know, you could be brother and sister, your father passes, they grieve differently. And so my job is to figure out, you know, because we do uh, pre bereavement assessments. So before the patient dies, I've already asked certain questions of the family members to kind of pinpoint, all right, this person is going to take grief hard. Mm. This person is going to need a little bit of help. And so no, using these different tools... I can better plan a care, you know, a care plan to help these people grieve, to help them navigate these waters. And then a last lesson that I can think of is that uh, according to Hebrews 9:27, we all have death on layaway. Mm-hmm. It's laid up for us mm-hmm. and I can't get your death. I can't get your layaway. And so knowing that puts it in perspective that yes, this person is about to die in six months. But I'm, I can die at any time also. And so that gives me an urgency to do the best that I can mm. to give care to this person, mm. knowing that they can die and I can die before they do. Mm. So just putting everything in perspective. Mm.
1: That, uh, the concept of, uh, of grief uh, being messy. and I, I often tell people that grace is messy. Mm. That grace doesn't show up the way we think it's going to show up. And that the way that God works in life uh, isn't always the way that we think mm-hmm. uh, it should work in life. And certainly not the way that we think God should be working in life. I've, you know, I've got a few questions myself. Yeah. <laughs> I'm yes. sure you do too, and everybody listening does. So the idea that, that grace being messy deals with the messiness of grief.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: yeah, And there that really is a powerful uh, component when you stop to consider it that way.
3: Definitely. You know, when you think about the Old Testament and Job, and then the New Testament, they had... Professional mourners, mm-hmm. you know, so Job is in grief. So here come his friends, and they're they get in there with him, they mm-hmm. sit with him. Then, uh, when Mary and Martha and Lazarus died, they would actually have people that they paid to come and grieve with them mm-hmm. to yell and shout, and that's not going to help that person, right? So, I have to come in with a clear head mm-hmm. to help them. You know, they don't need me coming in screaming and crying and hollering too because mm-hmm. they're dealing with that. So, mm-hmm. I have to come in again as that faith presence to help them Mm -hmm. navigate these waters.
1: What was that thing that you mentioned just a moment ago? Pre-bereavement counseling? Yes,
3: pre-bereavement assessment. Assessment? Yes.
1: My word, I've never heard of such a thing before. So you actually are assessing the
3: family? Yes, before the patient passes. Oh, my word. Wow. And if um, if something drastically happens to the patient, we do another one. That way we can plan, or I can plan, how can I help this person grieve? And you know various questions about economics and family history, and so if I know that this person is high, I can go ahead and start planning my frequency of visits that I'm going to have to do. Uh, what type of you know face-to-face visits? If I have to do mm-hmm. that, what type? How many times do I need to call them? Mm-hmm. Things like that. So wow.
1: uh, that's really educational, honestly. I've never heard of that kind of thing—a pre-bereavement assessment. Mm-hmm. But it sounds really logical and right that, that we should care about people in the... We're, we're basically saying that we're caring for you in the long term and in order for us to, to care for you in the long term, in the short term we're going to find out more about who you are. Mm-hmm. And again, this is another relationship piece, right? Yes, this is definitely. all that is.
3: And it's, you know, it's it's that way so that if you're at a high risk for grief you know, I'm not going at you with a low plan because if you're a high level of grief, me seeing you once every three months is not going to help you. Mm -hmm. So I need to know so that I can adjust myself. Mm. So again, that flexibility is a part of being a chaplain. Mm. Um, When I think about the one patient that we have, at beginning his mother, she really, she had a hard time with hospice. You know, her son is dying. She lives in um, about two hours away from Indianapolis and he's here. And so I was like, you know, what can we do to help her grieve and help her with her son? So I was like, you know, let's get him, let's get her a tablet. We found one on Amazon cheap. Mm. I went, you know, two hours up there, stayed with her most of the day, uh, set up the tablet for Skype. That way, whenever she wants, she calls me, I can go to his house, use my computer, and she can see him. Nice. Not knowing, you know, he's not going to be able to respond to her questions, but just her... Seeing her, seeing him, comforts. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, a lot of times, uh, doing this chaplain work, you do things that are not in the job description. Mm -hmm. You know, it's not saying, you know, I'm a chaplain. I'll drive three hours to go set up a laptop for a lady. Mm -hmm. That's just something Christian. That's just something to do to help this lady grieve properly. Wow
1: i, I got to tell you, Shannon, I've learned a thing or two here this morning. Thank you so much thank for you. sharing your expertise and, and obviously your heart. You know, you're know you committed to this. That's pretty obvious in the way this has come across today. Um, and, of course, your love of the word uh, makes it all, all the more powerful. Yeah. Uh, it really is the reason why we do whatever it is that we do. Yeah. yeah. So thanks again for being here today. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, next week, uh, folks, uh, we are going to have a special treat. We have Rob Wingeter coming in. Uh, He is uh, the founder and director of Massey Center in North Central Indiana. You'll be hearing more about Rob and his work uh, next week. He's written a book, a new book, on church history. And we'll be talking about that next week, specifically about church history. And then the week after, uh, we're going to be interviewing Claude Robinson. We've been talking today about chaplaincy. We're going to be talking about to a prison chaplain in two weeks, Claude Robinson, a wonderful man, a good friend and former student, uh, just like Shannon is. Uh, but uh, one, the wonder of these kinds of relationships is how much we... Uh, care and show generosity toward each other and the the kinds of opportunities we have in a radio show such as this. Which, of course, leads me to our finale, which is you are listening to RadioNext.tv at the Cool Groove site. This is Warp and Woof Radio. You hear us every Wednesday from 10 until noon, and we will see you next week.